Do you love making movies as hard and you want to listen to more episodes? Jump over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash MMIH and you can listen to the entire back catalog of episodes for just $1.99 a month. That's an additional 300 episodes that aren't on iTunes that you can listen to whenever you please. But without any more blibber blabber, back to the show. You know, making movies is hard. Making movies is hard. Welcome, this is a podcast about the struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Mark Purcell, the founding host of the podcast. I'm a sci-fi horror filmmaker, and my first feature film, The Alternate, is out now on digital, and DVD, and Tubi. I'm Liz Manishel, I'm a writer, director, producer, has made two features, Bread and Butter and Speed of Life, and I'm currently in development on 15 million more, but really I'm focusing on Best Friends Forever, my horror comedy feature. I'm a distribution consultant who does sales, and I used to manage Sundance's creative distribution initiative. On this Thursday bonus episode, we're going to play the interview from episode 168, way back from August 5th in 2018, with filmmaker Jean-Luc Julien, who talks about moving to Berlin and how he managed to make his first feature on a very, very low budget while living in Berlin and being from America, which is kind of amazing. Like, I thought I was just blown away by the fact that he just moved to Berlin and he's making movies there. Crazy. I felt like this was a good pairing for our episode with Jay because they're both documentary filmmakers who push the genre in different directions. Like, I believe John Luke's movie is kind of like part real life, like, exploration of like him as a filmmaker, like going to Cannes but then it's partly like a documentary about like making a movie at the same time. It's like kind of this weird genre bending like art, imitating art sort of thing weirdness. I kind of felt like it was a good matchup for Jay and like, you know, but one is doing it, you know, in Europe and one's doing it in Los Angeles. So I kind of thought it was like a nice, you know, little mix up there. But after we have this interview, don't go away because we have another round of the game that we play. But first... Don't forget to support us on Patreon, www.patreon.com slash podcast. This is the way that the show continues. You know, we give access to our entire back catalog if you do $1.99 a month or more. So that's like over 300 episodes that you'll get access to that you know no one else can hear right now. So make sure to check that out. But without any more bibble babble, here is our throwback interview with John Luke Julian. And we're here today with Jean-Luc Julian, who is currently working on a documentary called Living in Limbo, which he says covers a lot of the themes that we discuss on the podcast. All I've seen is a trailer, and I think he's right. I've also read the the one sheet that you sent us, Jean-Luc, and it does sound like it's a lot about struggle of a filmmaker named Mark, who actually is you, it seems like, like your alter ego. Anyways, I'm not going to set it up anymore. Welcome to the podcast first. Thank you. Thank you very much, guys. It's cool being here. And then why don't you tell us what your documentary is about? Right. Give us a little short synopsis. Here you go. This is what it's about. It's all about this coos. No. Um, It's about a a middle-aged American director trying to make the jump from short film to feature film while immersing himself in the international film festival circuit. And the next question I was going to ask you is give us your one minute bio. And I'm guessing it's a similar, a similar setup right there. That's very presumptuous, Timothy. (laughs) Not sure I like your tone. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it is similar. You you called me out on that one. Um, Yeah, I was born in Germany. I moved to America when I was eight months old. So I grew up uh, seven years in New Jersey, then the rest in California in the Los Angeles area. 
Um, I moved back to Germany in 1995, and um, yeah, I've been living here for 23 and a half years now, still trying to make movies. Why did you stay in Germany and not, like, if you wanted to make movies and, you know, pursue a career in filmmaking, like, why not move back to Los Angeles? This is a common question I've received and uh, have not yet perfected it, but, um, yeah. There's no I mean, wrong I, answers here. Just do no, your no. best. I know, sometimes I mean, it gets we get that question all the time, just oh, being, yeah. you know, like six hours away from L.A., right, so LA. I'm just curious, yeah. No, it's a good question. Um, yeah, no, I, um, I, I decided to come here for a year just to try it out. Um, I mean, I left L.A. because there was a drive-by shooting on my street on Halloween in Pasadena, and three kids were shot dead, 13, 14-year-old gang retaliation. Uh, a neighbor got a bullet through his wall, and I just thought, um, yeah, I don't know if I need to live like this, and my career wasn't really anywhere where... I had to give anything up, so I thought I'd try for a year, and then 23 and a half years later, I'm still here. And a lot of Germans have trouble understanding why I would leave Los Angeles to come to Germany to make movies. Um, but I like, <laughs> and yeah, it totally makes sense. Um, yeah, I like the uh, the way of life here. I like the seasons. I mean, yeah, I could move to different parts of America. Um, and after 23 and a half years, uh, obviously, most of my connections are here. Um, I also work as an actor and a voice artist so most of the sound studios I know are here and I've been very blessed to be able to make a living as an actor and a voice talent um, so if I were to move back I'd basically have to start from scratch and worry about paying rent and all that kind of thing <laughs> right. and you must speak fluent German by this point uh, right I do yeah my mother's German so she used to speak to me as a kid so I had a little head start and I took two years in high school two years in college and uh, yeah so I speak. It's not perfect, but it works. Is that why you picked Berlin? Because you already had like a little background with the German language and stuff? Yeah, I considered doing, uh, trying France, Paris. Um, but then I realized since I'm a French citizen, hence my name, I'd actually have to do 10 months obligatory military service. So I thought, well, I don't want to do that. So uh, I moved to Germany. Little did I know a year later that the French could actually have me arrested and force me to do military service, even though I was living in Germany. So that turned <laughs> oh, wow. into a, a fun little side uh, fight. But yeah, I didn't have to do it in the end. And how are you making a living? What's, what's your day job? Um, I guess I don't have a day job. My day job is trying to make movies uh, for no money. Um, but uh, every now and then I get an acting job. Um, they do these co-productions with uh, Germany sometimes. Like they shot um, yeah, Inglorious Bastards here in Berlin. Uh, they shot, I acted with Samuel Jackson in a movie they shot in southern Germany. So every now and then they need native speaking American actors. And um, then I do a lot of voice work for cartoons or audiobooks, mm -hmm. um, commercials. Yeah. So you're full-time filmmaker, actor. Yeah. I mean, if you look at my IMDb, it, it has mostly acting credits. And it's funny, I don't really consider myself an actor, but I do it. No one... <laughs> The problem is no one pays me to direct, but they pay me yeah, to act right. and talk into a microphone. So yeah, hey, welcome to the club. That's yeah. kind of kind of the story out there. It's hard to it's really hard to get paid to direct, and almost yeah. everyone has some sort of side hustle. It's awesome that you're doing stuff that's like related to film, at least. Yeah, I mean you're directing commercials, right? 
Timothy? Yeah, on occasion. The last yeah. one I directed, though, was almost a year ago at this point. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> but even like one commercial, I mean, I, if I was paid to direct a commercial, I would feel very satisfied with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you should. I, you I know. I know the goal be. is feature films <laughs> and full time. I understand that. And yeah. Well, Timothy's yeah. never satisfied. That's the bottom. I'm never line. satisfied. Exactly. <laughs> Thank okay. you. Right. Thank you. Really <laughs> something good about that. <laughs> but I wanted to say too that um, you know previous guests on the show, Paul Schneider, who's a commercial director living and working in Los Angeles, um, he always tells says the same thing. Just like you know, it's really hard to get your next job, and he's been doing it for you know 30 years, and he still doesn't you know, have any security at all as a commercial director, no matter how many, you know, national TV spots he directs. So it's like, it's tough for everybody. Always a struggle, yeah. Always a struggle, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Uh, What's the film community like out there in Germany? We've had a listener that's in Strasbourg, which is what, on the the border of France and Germany. And she was kind of complaining that there's not a lot of film work out there and trying to figure out where to go. And we had no idea what to tell her. Yeah. Um, but since you live there, can you let us know, like, is there a film community? How big is it? Does it exist outside of Berlin? Is there, or is it only in Berlin? And what, what's, what does it look like? Well, it's lucky you guys ran into me, isn't it? It really is. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, no, there's a, there's a big film community in Berlin. The two biggest film feature film and I guess documentary cities in uh, Germany would be Berlin and Munich, um, so the north and the south. And uh, Cologne does a lot of uh, television work. Um, so depending on what uh, the listener from Strasbourg is interested in, um, uh, yeah, either Munich or, I mean, I guess Munich is closer for he or she. Um, yeah. But it was funny because she didn't seem that excited about Berlin. Granted, you know, she's just graduating high school or whatever and moving on to college. But um didn't sound like from her perspective that Berlin was that big of a place for filmmaking. But you're saying that there is a pretty big community there? Yeah, a lot bigger than Strasbourg. Where did she think would be bigger than Berlin? Uh, Hollywood. <laughs> oh, I thought we were talking about just Germany. No, she was talking about like trying to decide whether or not to uh, stay in Europe, you know, and then, you know, or go to, to America, basically. Right. Okay. And well, in that case, was like, yes, Hollywood would be bigger. Yeah. But I mean, it, there must be some big, <laughs> um, big like areas for filmmaking in Europe, you know, that are like maybe not as big as LA, but they have to like have a pretty big industry there for, you know, to fulfill all the shows and, you know, movies and things that are being made um, overseas, right? Yeah, I mean, Netflix just started doing, um, you know, original programming here the last couple of years. So um, the series Dark is the first original Netflix series um, that's in German. And uh, they have their um, they have their uh, headquarters in Amsterdam, I believe, Netflix. So, um, yeah, so the big cities, basically, Paris, Berlin, Amsterdam, I think Luxembourg has a big... Uh, film scene um because of tax breaks perhaps and um yeah and then the eastern european i think a lot of stuff's being done in budapest as well um because they have really good deals and a good infrastructure for making films 
um, Brussels and so forth. But yeah, usually the, yeah. the main cities are the place to start off. Is there one that's like bigger than the rest, you know, like one part of Europe that's like really like kicking butt with filmmaking and, you know, video production and stuff like that? Probably every city thinks they're the one, so I'd have to vote for <laughs> Berlin. No, I have no idea. That's I don't. Funny. I don't hear. I mean, obviously, London's a lot of uh, a lot of stuff's gone on in London, and the whole Brexit thing's kind of weird. Uh, nobody knows what's going to happen with that. Um, so I, I assume London would be a good place to go because they have a lot of they do a lot of castings out of London. Um, so I imagine they do a lot of shooting there as well. But I don't know that there's one European central filmmaking city. I think they all, yeah. they're all open mm -hmm. for co-productions right. and they all have their own, you know, since everyone speaks a separate language, different language most of the time. Um, yeah. On the commercial side, we go to Europe a lot and we shoot stuff, um, but we bounce around depending on what the needs are. I, I know we've shot a few commercials in Barcelona. Um, I know that, Prague tends to be a big place if you're doing yeah. like if you need a lot a big choreograph sequence or you need a bunch of like really cool things built um London of course yeah but I mean there's I feel like there's a lot of productions that go there just to take advantage of either yeah tax breaks or they need like a bunch of actors to do something or they need to get a bunch of cool sets built and it just it's cheaper to do it there than it is in Hollywood for instance and they don't have to deal with the unions yeah yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not in the union, the SAG, um, or any other union, but um, so, yeah, when they come here, they're shooting non-union, and they can pay the actors a lot less, and I'm grateful because work is work, but, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think, like, her complaint mainly with Europe is she just didn't feel like there was, I don't know, maybe she didn't feel like there was enough people for her to right. get the production off the ground. I know at one point well, she... Well, especially in her town, I think. Yeah, in her yeah. town, but we're just like, can't she just go to some film festivals, or is there anywhere... We don't know anything about Europe. I don't even know right. how close Berlin is to her, but we're like, can't... She was saying at one point, can I just come to the United States for a few months and shoot a short film? As like... Wouldn't it be easier to find people around where you are than it would be to like come all the way to a new country and try to like build the team from scratch? Yeah, I would recommend that as well. Um, but I mean, there's nothing like the uh, the experience of saying, yeah, I'm going to L.A. to shoot a movie, you know, that, that always sounds nice. But then what I found, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, the last film I shot in uh, in L.A. was 1998. So that was a while ago. And uh, I had actor friends and people who helped me. But I was just there a couple months ago for uh, the Holly Shorts Film Festival. The monthly screenings were one of my film screen. And um, I wanted to find someone to help me shoot some stuff for the documentary Living in Limbo. And it's really hard. Everybody wants to get paid, which I understand. I love getting paid myself. But, um, yeah, I found that, um, I mean, I only posted on what do you, what do you call it, Mandy or the, like the filmmaking. Oh, Andy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, no, I understand everyone wants to get paid. But, um, so for this woman in Strasbourg, I would suggest doing it in Europe because, or at least in Berlin, you can find a lot of people who want the experience and will work for free. Um, you know, it's nice if you provide them some to eat and drink along the way. But, um, yeah, I've never actually paid an actor 
And uh, I would very much How dare like you? to. I know it's yeah, terrible. Yeah, as an actor it's yourself, terrible. you haven't paid an actor. <laughs> my thing actors. is, you should pay yeah. actors. You don't have to pay anyone else, but you should pay actors. Right? Yeah, I don't know well. why I think that too. Maybe because I can't act. I think maybe that's why I'm like, oh, <laughs> right. it's such a special thing you do. I must pay you something. It is. It's a wonderful thing. And as soon as I can get some money, or as soon as I can find someone who will give me money to pay other people, then because um, I produced all my own films and. Uh, you know, I did Kickstarter once, raised about six, seven grand. Um, I got funded by a, in Munich for a film. They gave me 20000 which was pretty sweet. But I kind of had a name actor attached, a German actor. Um, but yeah, that all went to, you know, closing off roads and equipment. And uh, you know how it is. I don't have to tell you right. about it. But I would love to be able to pay someone. And that's why I'm kind of in this state, living in limbo, so to speak. Um yeah. I mean, you can make a film for a couple thousand, but to make a feature, you need a couple more. And to actually pay people, you need a couple, you know, and, uh, and then you <laughs> need investors. Need a couple more. Yeah. Um, so I, I know we want to get to the cons short film corner in here about your experience with that. But before we talk about that, I have a question. So this Living in Limbo movie that you're making, it's about a filmmaker trying to make a, make their first feature while navigating the, uh, you know, international, you know, like a uh, film festival circuit or whatever. But, uh, I mean, like, do you have a movie that you're also trying to make as well while you're making living in limbo or did you just, or is living in limbo the movie that you're, you're making, you know, as your fe first feature? So I shot a short film just called limbo. It's just limbo. That's the name of it. And it was invited to the can short film corner. And I woke up on a Sunday morning thinking, um, <clears throat> Why don't I make a movie about this guy who has a movie in Cannes? And it, um, so yeah, it's, it's similar to my story, but I don't want it to be just about me. I want it to be kind of about everybody and not only filmmakers, you know, like dreams, following your dreams and, uh, or giving up on your dreams, kind of, uh, midlife crisis thing. Should I keep going? Should I not? Uh, what started off as a mockumentary is slowly turning more and more into a documentary all the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's supposed to be funny too and, and poignant at the same time. Time. Um, so yeah, I just. But you're had still the playing the character during the documentary, though, right? Even though it's getting yeah. more serious, you're still being this other guy. I mean, the other guy is me. Uh, you know, there's. I'm just leaving certain certain things out. I mean, uh, I killed someone once, and I, I don't want that in. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, <clears throat> you know, I'm just trying to keep like my personal life out of it, and just focus on this one character who's driven. I mean, if there's a, any financiers out there that say I love the idea, but it has to be you, and it has to be your name on it, then you know, give me some money, and I'll you know, I'll do whatever it takes. <laughs> You're like, no problem. Yeah. We'll change that right away. <laughs> right now, at the moment, I kind of I. I have more fun with it if it's a fictional character. I mean, uh, I don't know if you both saw the trailer. Well, we'll post it up on our website. But uh, okay. I was going to just say, like, I can see how it would be easier for you to jump into this idea thinking, oh, I can make this more entertaining if it's a fictional character. Like, yeah, I'll be drawing upon my real life experiences, but it's not going to have the weight of me and my experiences if I can like fictionalize this guy's background and I can still say the same things about being a filmmaker with dreams and maybe feeling like a lot of times that they're just out of reach but then I can do it in more of a fun way if it's a fictional character 
Exactly. So exactly. Yeah. Well, in the in the screen in the trailer or teaser or whatever, um, I go along the harbor, um, and there are all these yachts, these huge lots, yachts and can, and I go and ask, are there any producers on the yachts? Right. And I actually met a producer on the yacht who invited me on, and we talked, and he said, and I would never do that in real life. You know, I mean, I'm terrible at networking for one thing. I don't like just going up to complete strangers saying I need something from you, but playing this character and having a camera following me allowed me kind of gave me the courage to kind of play with it and uh, get silly and then see what happens yeah. so yeah i guess it helps it's got way. a little bit of a morgan spurlock feel to it maybe a little michael moore in there um, yeah but yeah i i thought it, it seemed like a very entertaining take on you know what it's like to be a filmmaker and, and attending these festivals and Alric and I have been to festivals and I think we had dreams that like most filmmakers do that you're going to go to a festival especially something like Cannes and it's going to really propel your career did you have those kind of expectations going to the, the Cannes short film corner did you know anything about it before you went and where you're like oh man this could be my big break I just got to find a producer there Right. Um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a little too old for that now. Um, I did. <laughs> you didn't buy I, into the dream. Uh, yeah, no, I'm just a bitter old. No, um, I actually went to the can short corner when they first did it about 10 years ago. And at that time, I think they, they took everything or anything, any film. Oh, really? And now they have a selection, I guess, because everybody can make a movie now. Um, it's, they say they have an artistic, creative kind of, I don't know level that they want to reach. I don't know if that's true, but um, yeah. So I, I already knew, and I know because I'm a terrible networker that, um, yeah, it probably wouldn't get me anywhere. So I did not have the dream, <laughs> okay. but, but I also well, we leave had... open the option of that happening. You know, it's not like sure, that you always time. have to, yeah. we had somebody on our indie filmmaker group on Facebook ask about the can film corner. I believe Ulrich, do you remember yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So I was curious right. about whether or not they should go. And like, I, I, well, my understanding is that a lot of people get into the short, um, Kekon's short film corner that it's like a pretty, I think I even got in for one of my movies and I just was like, eh, I don't want to go because I'd in? already heard. I think so. I know. I can't believe it. Ulrich actually got it. Even I got it. <laughs> yeah. 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 But I mean, you know, so. Not to say that it's a bad thing or anything, but I just feel like it's a pretty big expense to go all the way out to, to Cannes, um, you know, to be just, you know, part of this, this program that, you know, is, is not, you know, there are a lot of people get into and there's a lot of competition, you know, and probably a lot of people who are there, like really excited about the, being in that corner. And so you, I, I really feel like it's all about your networking ability at that point, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, again, it's better than like just going to Cannes without being in the short film corner. <laughs> I think, right? Which plenty of people is, do yeah. also, and they yeah. they have an accreditation. I think I said something very defeatist on Facebook. I was probably one of the first people oh, yeah. to respond, and I probably just said like, I I probably said some statistic like. You know, 2,000 films get submitted to Cannes Short Film Corner. I don't think it's a big deal. Like, you probably shouldn't waste your money or something like that. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, well, we, I but, think I found a friend of mine who had gone before for her movie. Um, and I think she gave it her answer on, like, what she thought it was like or what her experience was. So, I think that was oh, okay. helpful to that person. Um, so, what, there's an interesting what is article the Cannes? online. 
Um, oh, about it. It, if you, oh that's, yeah, if that you, is. I did find that, and yeah, I did put that yeah. on Facebook. And it's, and it's pretty accurate, and I kind of knew that already going in, and um, I went to a couple um, lectures, film lectures, and I asked this one producer about it, and he said, yeah, don't waste your time. The only reason those people, like the Sundance uh programming senior programmer is there is because they fly her down there and they put her up in a hotel and they give her food and you know um right and who doesn't want to go to can yeah no i mean it's it's great if to experience because you get well i didn't get a single ticket for one thing they have like a lottery ticket the last time i went they keep changing how they hand out the tickets and you can go if you're accredited um without a ticket to other screenings but like the big screenings at the uh, the palais there you need a ticket um so yeah just to experience it it's it's uh yeah it's probably nice but what what is it? So there's the Cannes Film Festival, and then there's the short film corner. Is it is do they actually screen movies in a theater, or is it just like a catalog, like a, actually a corner of a room where you, they just have like a catalog of films you can look through? Like what is it? It's it's part of the market, the film market, and um, it is not like it's a bigger corner, I guess you could say, um, within the market. <laughs> and there is like a room where they have, I don't know how many monitors, maybe 15, 20 monitors, and um, anybody can go in there. You have to kind of make a reservation and you go up there and say, when's the next slot or can I do it tomorrow at three? And apparently they have short film buyers, short film distributors that are looking for content. So they can go in there and they can search by genre or length. Um, and I think they had 14,000 views or something. I wrote it in the, in the synopsis, but, um, I had three views over seven days of my film. I I didn't promote my film at all. And one person I met there who was a producer, I asked him to watch the whole thing. And the other two people only watched 90 seconds of it. So no one actually Mm. watched my whole film. How long was the film? 10 minutes. Okay. And what, and what genre is Limbo? Uh, drama. Oh, okay. So maybe they're looking for comedy or sci-fi or I don't know. So here's a question for you. So you go to the short film corner at, at Cannes, and then you've got your drama short that you made that's gotten in. Um, how much of your energy are you putting into like making the documentary when you're there at Cannes, and how much are you putting into like trying to actually, you know make connections for your your drama short and like get that side of your filmmaking career going yeah that that made this trip a lot harder but um i think i justified going to the short film corner because i was making a documentary so obviously when i'm there i'm i'm trying to meet people and it even gave gave me an opportunity to interview people that I wouldn't normally be able to interview and to get their uh, feedback on the festival and connections. And I was looking for a producer and asking help. Do you know how I can find a producer? So, um, yeah, I had somebody with me, a cameraman from Hamburg uh, for three days. And, yeah, we shot for three days. And um, But, yeah, they have, like, events at the short film corner. They have, like, happy hour where you can meet other people. But they're mostly people, you know, like us, you know. that They're mostly directors that are there hoping to meet a producer. Um, So it seems like you're just in a big room 
full of the same people. No one can help anybody right. else, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. And they're coming right, yeah. from all over the world. So, you know, you could meet a yeah. producer and they're from Tokyo or something. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. That's like the the SF Film uh, Society parties I've gone to recently are like that. You know, you see the same people at each party. They're all directors, writers, and producers, and everyone's looking for financing, and, you know, uh, no one can really help each other out besides, like, maybe five people in the room who, who you don't know who those people are or in, even if they, they are don't interested want you in to the know. project. Right. <laughs> maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> maybe, That's I don't maybe know. a little more cynical. A little. But yeah. um, anyways, I mean, but yeah, it can be very... <laughs> can be very daunting, but I feel like it's still really good to go to those parties and those events because then you meet more people and then you never know, like the one person you meet might, you know, spark something else in your career that you couldn't even foresee, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, so. I, I know I might sound cynical, but um, I am open for things to happen. I'm not, you know, I mean, I wouldn't go there for no re- reason. Um, but yeah, I think it's hard to, you know, especially in Cannes to get into the parties. I know people who crash parties and, you know, they're just those types of people. They really need to be there. And uh, so, yeah, magic does happen. I mean, like I said, I met a producer, an executive producer on a yacht and he promised to produce anything I wanted to make. Um, but you know, uh, Hollywood. So are they, promise. So are they producing, um, you're living in limbo then, or you well, he said he, use that for that? Well, he doesn't usually do documentaries for one thing. Um, and, but he said I could use his name as executive producer. I could put him on the list as an executive producer. And I interviewed him. I was in right. LA, like I said, a couple months ago and I met up with him again. So it's not like, yeah. And he's trying to help me edit it. He's, Hook me up oh, with that awesome. in LA. Basically, so yeah, basically, when a producer, I think what the the thing that most filmmakers tend to find is like they think they need a producer because they feel like a producer is going to bring money. But then what they find out is that you can find a producer that'll produce your film, but they're not going to bring the financing. They're they're going to wait till you bring the financing, but and then they'll help you get the film made. That's what's happened to me. Um, I think that's what's happened to Ulrich. It sounds like that's kind of what happened to you, too. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I'd like to think producer equals money or that they would find the money, but uh, that might be very naive. Um, I understand paying a producer to actually produce something. That that makes sense, like paying actors and directors and so forth. Yeah. But I just don't know where to get that money, and I assume that producers right. have more knowledge of that. It seems yeah. to me that just that's what everyone's struggling with. Even producers yeah. are even are famous struggling people with are struggling and, with exactly. the, the money yeah. part. You know, yeah, it's the most difficult part of the whole process, and there's no easy answer. And I think like you need to, it's just you got to figure it out yourself. And figuring it out is like so hard. And like even you know, I've had some pretty good success raising money for my feature, but it's still like. Oh my gosh, you know, you, 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 even you'll get like these great, like things that, that happen and you're like, Oh my gosh, like this is going to like set us off to a new thing. And then of course that opportunity disappears, you know, and then you're like, okay, well, I gotta wind up to the next thing. And then it's, it's really just comes down to like little victories, you know, and like one little victory after another little victory after another little victory. And then you just grow your pot, you know, but it's really. Really challenging. I mean, gosh, it's yeah. I think it's, it's rare tough. that people are going to find just one source of funding that they're going to have to go out and maybe apply for grants if if their movie fits into that bucket or or get involved in 
film societies or Sundance Labs if your film falls into that bucket or just relying on family and friends if that's all you've got. But I think it's really about just taking that first step forward and starting to find the money. And then through finding the money, I think you'll keep finding new avenues to find the money. But if you're just looking for a one-stop shop, you're probably not going to find it that way. It's very rare that we've heard stories of people that just, they have uh, an angel investor come in and drop the whole budget of the movie in their laps except for jd dillard i can't think of another example right yeah i haven't even explored that um i guess what i'm looking for more than anything is a collaborator a teammate a brother sister in arms kind of thing you know it's just so exhausting doing it all yourself you know you hear about Uh, these great relationships director producer relationships and yeah i don't know just someone who likes producing too because i've produced all my films and i've gotten them made and you know i guess that's successful but i've never even dealt with trying to get you know over 20 grand I think the, the, the real way to be successful in that is just to find somebody who's gonna, um, like, I think not, not find somebody. It's actually not that at all. I think it's really just you making the movie because in making the movie and getting it done, you'll attract people to the project, you know? Um, I really feel like that's the, what I've seen work for people in the past is just doing it and then, you know, people will come. You know, it's like starting it, like pretend like you're already in production and you just kind of get get the ball rolling and make it seem like it's happening, whether or not people join you or not. And if people feel like it's just going to happen without them, um, they're more likely to say yes. than it's just this this idea that's sitting around. So we've we've learned and we learned this as early as like. I think episode 20 was when we had um, our first guest on and they're just like, you've got to be your own producer. Like you can't wait for somebody to come in and do the work for you. I think having more of like a mentor on the side, uh, we just did an episode with Chris Ford who had, who found a producer just to kind of ask questions to along the way. Like whenever he got stuck, you just email them and say, all right, I'm here now and I want to get to this point what do I need to do to make that happen and they'd give them some suggestions um, it just it's really hard to find somebody that's going to be as passionate about your project as you are so I think it's really falls on us as the people who have the project that want to make it happen to really push it forward and so I think right. the, the steps are both with raising money and getting your film made is just you just got to start pushing it forward however you can. If the, if all you can do is start casting and finding a location and getting that script done, anything that you can package together and just start making it look like it's it's something that is going to gain its own momentum, then it makes it easier to like ask other people, do you want to come in on this? I already got actors. I've got a location. I got this script that won a contest. I don't know. Well, you know, whatever you can do to like nah. ma- start making it look like it's a thing. For me, it was uh, on Spirit Machine. I did concept art, which was a huge thing because then it, it it wasn't a, any part of the filmmaking process except for just visualizing it. But I think people saw how serious I was just to like pay somebody to put together concept art that they're like, Oh wow. Like you're, you're serious about this. This is not just a script on paper. You're like actually putting work towards it to make it a reality. Right. Absolutely. Well, one of you asked, um, if, if my first feature is living in limbo or if I'm actually pitching um, another script. I mean, I do have another feature film that I'd like to do eventually, but at the moment I'm 
pitching living in limbo so i'm making a movie about trying to make a movie <laughs> i'm trying to find yeah. find that so you know i have i have you know i flew down to can i convinced two other people uh to fly down on their own dime and um I cut a little teaser, three minute thing. I've been sending it to producers. I've been, you know, so I have something I've already started. I've invested my own money. Um, but yeah, I just Great. don't want to do it all alone. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, totally. It, well, that's what I was going to say. It sounds like you're doing all the right things. You know, you're actually making the movie. And so I think it's just a matter of time until you find somebody who aligns with the film you're making and who wants to jump on board, you know? Yeah, but how do uh, I find those was, people? Well, I think you just keep on doing it. Like, you know, you keep on, you know, it, I don't know what stage you're at. Like, if there's something that you need money for that's stopping you from continuing. But as my experience with documentary, it's like you can just, you know, shoot an interview with basically no lighting, you know, and just go and m keep on making it. So, I don't know. It that's feels what like I'm you doing should, now. If, yeah, exactly. So, it just seems like you're on the right track push it forward you yeah know? exactly you're doing it so don't worry there's not like something that you're missing you're doing oh it. and the other thing i was going to say too that people seem that i've learned in my whole uh experience raising money is that uh attitude is a big thing that people respond to so like if you're a little ho-hum about your project even if you are doing all the right things i think people don't get as excited about it so like the couple meetings where i've been less enthusiastic have not gone as well but when I'm like the most enthusiastic and the most excited about my project, that's when it really goes well. So I would just say that like always have this like unbridled enthusiasm around what you're doing, like at all times, like because you never know when you're going to meet somebody who's going to be interested in it. So like, like everything I do, like every job, when I'm at the coffee shop, like buying lunch, like whatever. If, if anyone asks me what I'm doing and like what I'm, you know, I ever strike up a conversation, it's always like, yeah, I'm making this movie. I'm really excited about it, blah, blah, blah. And I pitch it all the time. Like, you know, at lunch when I'm like shooting, you know, I'm driving to a shoot with somebody and carpooling, you know, I'm constantly pitching the movie. So I feel like just doing that, like, even if it doesn't actually result in anything tangible, it's like you're putting the positive energy out in the universe and like that'll eventually come back to you, you know. That's some Berkeley shit right there. That Damn is some straight. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh yeah, but you that gotta keep on keeping on, man. Universe. You can, you can yeah. tell which one of us is the positive <laughs> optimism optimist and who is the pessimist. Yeah, you know? right. I wouldn't say I'm a pessimist. I'm just more of a realist. I always that's, that's what, what all pessimists, pessimists say. All pessimists say, say exactly. that. That's what they say. <laughs> So I want to talk a little bit about your time in L.A. You said, so I was looking at your website and it looks like you started the company in like 2000. And was that like right after you went to film school? Like you went to, um, was it, you, what is it, State? You, Cal State, I don't know, L.A. Cal State, Cal State. Cal what was State, that film LA, school yeah. experience like? Um, it wasn't because there was no film department oh, at Cal State okay. LA, which is What'd actually strange. I actually studied theater, directing and acting theater. Oh, cool. And they had a broadcasting um, department at the time. So that's where I kind of learned editing on the, uh, I don't know even what you call it, those things where you toggle and stuff on VHS or beta or uh, whatever. You know. Tape to I tape. Yeah, I'm aging myself a little bit now. But um, um, no, so I studied theater and uh, I've been making short films since I was 14, I think, 13, 14. I wrote my first screenplay 
and um yeah just doing vhs stuff with friends um yeah and then i directed my first play my senior year in college and then i thought okay i don't want to be an actor anymore um i oh, mean no. I, yeah no i mean i just i'd really like the uh i think uh what i excel at as a director is that i'm i'm good at organizing and i'm good at communicating i'm good at leading i guess i'm a i'm a pretty decent leader um and i think so that's you liked, important you ended up liking directing more than acting that's exactly that's that's yeah. what i meant um so i kind of leaned towards that and i directed a bunch of theater in la uh, not a bunch maybe three or four plays and um yeah and then i started my own theater company in germany and uh still trying to do both but at one point I realized, okay, I can't do theater and film. I have to make a choice. And I decided to make even less money directing <laughs> short films. <laughs> right. And so your first short film was what, 99, you said? Yeah. The, well, the 2000 thing that I, my first short that I directed, I was probably 19. It was like a Martin Luther junior documentary type thing and uh on vhs and just with friends yeah um so yeah i mean the stuff that's on imdb i started a little later than you know we all have a bunch of films we've made that we don't really talk <laughs> oh, yeah. about or screen right. in front of anybody except family and friends even then um yeah. so yeah i guess the kiss uh in 2000 was my first film and i actually shot that on black and white 16 millimeter um so awesome. i'm grateful to have gotten a taste of actual film and i edited it myself like actually cutting the negative not the negative the uh the positive and then sending it to a negative cutter so i experienced all that stuff which was nice so that's that's why I said the company has started in uh, 2000. I shot in 98. Took me two years because, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then how many short films have you made since then? Um, I think I'm, I, I think I'm almost reaching 30. <laughs> um, oh, wow. Yeah, and most most of the last ones I've done, they've been part of these uh, competitions like the 48-hour film project um there's i did a 35 hour one a 99 hour one um but yeah actual films i guess limbo is an actual film uh, that i shot in 2016 um and uh, one before that oh that's actually screening tonight in new york there's any new york listeners the new filmmakers new york is gonna screen my film limbo the screenwriter will be there that's a little shout out Amy Fruchtman. Um, yeah, so, and then I did another one in 2009 where it was funded by the Bavarian government. And uh, so, yeah, I guess just really two kind of planned. But it, it's funny, these timed, yeah. f these timed competitions actually did surprisingly well and won a couple of awards. That's cool. And um, so, yeah. So, and over these years that you've been making these shorts, are you doing that because you just, you don't know how to get enough money to make a feature and so this is kind of like in the interim you're making shorts to just like keep things going or are you hoping that one of these shorts like hits big and wins a bunch of awards and that helps kind of open the door to the feature thing like what, what kind of path have you been pursuing with all this yeah, the hope is that, you know, people make short films and to hopefully have it as a calling card. And I was really hoping with Limbo that that would, um, that that would happen, but it hasn't really caught on, um, at festivals. So, uh, yeah, why do I keep doing it? I, I don't know. I don't know what else to do, really. <laughs> um, uh, can I ask you a, a very invasive question, which is how much money have you spent on your filmmaking over the past 20 years? 
Wow. Yeah. Um, um, of my own money. <laughs> um, I, I have actually no idea. I, um, when I did the kiss on a 16 millimeter, um, I think the budget was 3000 that we just used for, you know, um, film costs. Uh, so not really that much. I mean, I guess I've paid a lot of money trying to make this living in limbo, um, uh, by flying to festivals. I don't know. So maybe in the last 20 years, say 10,000, I mean, the Kickstarter money was from other people. The Bavarian funding was from other people. So not that much. And, That's great. Uh, yeah. I guess where I was going with it, I was just curious to know, like, had you just saved that money up, could you have made a feature? And I think there'd be a lot of people out there that say, yeah, you can make a feature with 2500 I mean, we had Evan Kidd on here that made a feature film for 2500 Um wow. But, you know, it all, it all depends on, like, kind of where you're at and what your connections are and what how you can make that happen. But I'm guessing that you have a very clear idea about what this feature looks like, and it's not a $2,500 feature. Um, it's interesting. I've never actually considered it because I like to think, I mean, do you know the budget of Tangerine? That uh, film? I can look, yeah, I can look it up really quick. I mean, they shot it on do an iPhone, know? but I assume they needed lights and permits and stuff like that too. <laughs> um, so yeah. yeah. And I don't know if they paid the actors or not. I could shoot a film on a hundred thousand dollars. Right. So when you hear someone making a movie on a cell phone, you think, um, yeah, that's all they needed, <laughs> but you still need other things. Uh, so you need a hundred thousand to do that and to make it look good as good as it did. Um, yeah. so yeah, I, I haven't really considered, uh, yeah. I mean, maybe that's the option to go. Just, uh, you know, just put my life savings into it and make a feature film. And, but I kind of mm -hmm. don't like the feeling, you know, they say you should never use your own <laughs> money, you know, because that's going to yeah. affect my directing too. And my, you know, I'm going to be more stressed on the set with the actors and, you know, I'm with you. Alric, I need you to jump in. You need to tell us like, should people be spending their own money on their feature films? I like mean, if, if you if can figure it out, um, oh, on their feature films on or their on their short films? films? Like if it's oh, on a, their features. If it's like, right. let's say, let's just say 100000 at the top end. If you have $100,000 and you're just like, I want to make a feature film, is it worth people to go into debt to make it? Because we've heard stories about people that have done it and that well, been successful with it, right? I guess right? it like depends. The Kevin on, Smiths of the world. <laughs> It depends on your situation. Like, if you have a hundred thousand dollars that you can afford to put into a movie, like even if it was for like you know, if you're saving to buy a house, but like you had this hundred thousand dollars, you know, in the bank ready to go. I mean, if I had a hundred thousand dollars in the bank, I would just use it to make my movie right now, you know, and that wouldn't even be the whole budget. But I mean, at least that would that would get me there, right? Um, but you know, obviously not everyone's prepared to do that and not everyone's in that situation. And, and like for me personally, um, I, I spent like roughly around $60,000 across my three to four short films over three to four years or five years or whatever it was. Um, so, you know, my wife and I made an agreement that I'm not allowed to spend any of my own money on movies anymore, or at least, <laughs> at least not sure that was to your that wife degree. and your agreement. <laughs> Well, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a mature adult. I, you know, if I, if I didn't want to do that, I, I could, you know, push back, but I mean, oh, I still so. spend money on my own movies or my uh, money, my own money on movies, but it's usually, it's more like paying to go to AFM or paying for, 
you know, like investor lunches or paying, you know, that that's the kind of, or paying for script printouts or for, um, you know, things like that. But that's all like, you know, a write off from, from my business. So, I mean, that kind of helps, you know, but, right. uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure, and I will probably end up putting my own money in the movie too. It's just inevitable. It just happens, you know, like you're short $5,000, you know, and then like you need to make it up somehow. So like, okay, well now I'm an investor too. Like that's going to happen. Like I know it, you know, and my yeah. wife knows it too. And she's totally cool. But like, but yeah, I mean, I guess my point is that if you're in a financial situation where you could literally like just take, you know, $50,000, $100,000 and go make a feature, more power to you, you know? But I think the thing that I've decided for myself is that as filmmakers we need to figure out how to raise our own money like if we're really going to be filmmakers and if we're really going to do this as a career like that's a portion of it that you need to figure out so like that's what i'm doing now is trying to figure out how to get the funds you know and figure out the whole investor thing and figure out the raising money and you know doing my best at it so it's like that's the challenge i think that all filmmakers have and it's kind of cool like you've only spent ten thousand dollars on short on your shorts over you know 20 years or whatever it is and uh that's pretty impressive because i mean i've been you know i spent a lot more in a lot shorter amount of time me too Um, and and so is timothy you know um but I, i just think that you know, like what you've done with like getting, getting funding from the Bavarian government or getting funding from Kickstarter or getting funding from other things. It's like, those are all things that we should all be thinking about. Like where, where are the funds? Like, where can we get them? Like there's lots of grants. Not, there's not lots of grants. There's a couple grants in the Bay area that you can go (laughs) after. Um, the Berkeley film society has one, or I can't remember what their name is, but like, I mean, it's the Berkeley film commission. They have one they do every year that they give out a certain amount of money for independent projects. The film society in San Francisco has them, you know, and there's a bunch of other ones here that, that, that exist. And then there's the bigger ones, you know, like, you know, whatever the um, Sloan grant and this, that, and the other things. So there's right. lots of things you can apply to, but um, I mean, those are really, really hard to get. So They're I hard. Think, it's like, very competitive, and you have to have the yeah. right film to fit into. And usually, those you have to have a production company behind you, right? You can't right. just say, "Hey, yeah. I'm, I'm a director. I want to make a movie. Give me money." They want to know that there's yeah. a production company <laughs> behind you, and most likely a producer who's produced a couple, at least. Right. That's my guess. But even just. Yeah, but just getting through that first, even trying to just, you know, get it done on your own. Like, even if, if it is, like, they don't require a production company behind you, but you're just submitting as the filmmaker, either the producer or the director. Just getting f- past that first gateway is, like, incredibly difficult, you know. So, mm. um, but I, I that's why I feel like trying to find private investment is the best way to go. Like, either through your own um, personal connections, um, friends, family, or even just through people you know, through the business that you do. I think that seems to be the way that most people are able to find their money. It's just by, you know, pitching to people that they, they come across in their lives, you know, and like people always ask like, where, where to find investors? How can I find investors? I I really feel like the answer is, um, wherever you can, (laughs) you know, whoever, whoever, you know, that answer sucks. And so (laughs) how do you, how do you do that? You're at the dentist's office and you're in the waiting room. Dentist comes to pick you up. Yeah. Say, Hey man, nice office. You got a little spare change (laughs) for a movie. I mean, my, my, my dentist is one of my investors. So no, shut up. Great. No, that's such a cliche. 
That's, That's true. amazing. So wait, how do you do that though? Do you do just say be like, "Hey man, can I talk to you for like yeah. can I p- take you to coffee for half an hour and talk to you about this Basically, project I'm working on?" Yeah, I think after one of my dentist appointments, I just pulled him aside and was like, "Hey, you know, I'm making these movies, I'm working on this feature. Would you be interested in, you know, potentially being an investor?" And then he was like, "Yeah, send me more about it." And then he's like, "Yeah, okay, let's have lunch, you know, this day." And then took him to lunch, did the whole pitch thing. And then he was like, yeah, okay, I'm in for this amount. Let me just clear it with my wife first. That's amazing. <laughs> and then, you know, can you send me his email but address? A, but that's my dentist who's been cleaning my teeth since I, since I was five, you know? So it's like sort of a special dentist. It's not just. Any yeah, but you dentist. found an opportunity. I think that the key is you right. find the, op- these opportunities and, and you, you find where it. the money is and whether or not it's yeah. people you even know. I mean, it's great that it's somebody you knew, but for like you, Jean-Luc, right. it's like, if you kind of locate those opportunities and say, all right, what do I need to do to get those people to say yes to me? And you may not be ready right now, but maybe in two years you'd be ready by doing certain things. Like maybe you'd need to have like a super solid trailer to make it happen. Like I know Cohen Brothers, the story was they they made a trailer and then they went door to door, like selling shares of their movie, projecting the film and talking people into it. When Chris Ford did a similar thing, he made a movie about Reno and went to, to Reno and like had people come to a bar and screened uh, a trailer for the film and get, got investors that way. So I think it's about like finding in your specific, we can't, we can't guide you because we don't know what your life is like, but looking around you and saying, all right, if there's nobody that I know personally, who are people outside of my network that I need to get in touch with and how do I reach them? So it seems to me there's two types of investors, right? There's one that Mm -hmm. want a return on investment, and there's one that just (laughs) want to be part of the filmmaking world. Just be part of the movie thing, yeah, right. right. Which is probably, at our level, I think most of the investors we're going to find are just people that want to be a part of the movie-making world. Well, hopefully all of them, because you don't really want the people who expect a return on their investment, really. Right, because it's hard. You're not really in a position to to deliver that necessarily. <laughs> so, like, hopefully they they should be into it because they love the movie, they like you, and uh, they're they're in it for the experience. So that's really what you're hoping for, you know. Mm-hmm. And they really believe in the yeah. project. Like that's what you need them to be thinking. Because if they're thinking like, oh yeah, I'm gonna get rich off this, or oh this is a solid investment, they're just gonna be pissed off at you later, more than likely, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and you don't want pissed off investors. <laughs> yeah, I, don't I think want you can build the story anybody. around yourself. Like, hey, I used to live in L.A. I'm now here in Germany. I'm, you know, making my first feature film. I think that's kind of an impressive story right there. Yeah. Okay, that's a good way to do it. I know it. it doesn't sound impressive to you, but <laughs> it, it will sound impressive. You're like, I've been making films for 20 years. I've screened right. at the Cannes Short Film Corner, you know, list right. of all the festivals you've been yeah. at, the awards. Yeah, the that terrible you've won. thing is I could sell you guys as filmmakers better than I can sell myself. You know, I got a real problem telling people <laughs> how great funny. I am, you know. Well, maybe um, you should yeah. yeah, take on the, this persona of is it Mike, Mike to do Mike. it? Mike? Yeah. yeah, do so Mike can sell you as a as a right filmmaker as long as i got this buddy he's he's amazing yeah yeah yeah, maybe you just need the camera to be with you the whole time i do all the time yeah (laughs) uh what other questions do we got Auric? hey while you're looking at uh possible questions i just want to say thanks so much for doing this just making the podcast i think you're really uh, supporting the community out there i mean there's millions of us you know i just wanted to say congratulations to you and that you've done this for three years which is pretty amazing 
and I'm sure there are a lot of people, I don't know how many followers or subscribers you have, but um, yeah, the stuff I'm hearing, I'm going through the same thing. So I imagine other people are, and I just want to say thank you from one yeah. of your listeners. Oh, good. Oh, thanks, no, man. Yeah, you're welcome. And I'm glad that we can be some sort of support. We just like, we just talk. We don't know what we're doing either. Yeah, but it's right. cool yeah. that, we're, uh, we're you know, like I said, I listened to the Variety Playback podcast and they have interviews with big actors and directors and producers and um yeah, yeah. and then there's the other side and that <laughs> that chasm between those two sides seems to be so huge and so unlikely right. that it's great that you're just sharing you're welcome yeah and I, yeah. I feel like sometimes that chasm feels like it's uh it's can be or it can look discouraging because you're just like i'm here on this side of things and on the other end is like that amazing world of success and look how green it is over there uh, i think part of what Ulrich and i are always hoping to do is just to get people on and just remind them you're doing it you're doing it like it's a you are finding a way to keep making your films and that's all it's about i know you're struggling to like get to that next big thing and I think you can get there if you just keep pushing for it, but also don't lose sight that you're, you are making it happen and you're making stuff. And like, you're here on this podcast telling us about this documentary that you're working on, which is really cool and was yeah. interesting enough that we wanted to have you on and talk to you. So that's a success. Cool, man. I'll take it. Um, so I have a question. So you've been doing this for a long time. Um, and you've never really stopped pursuing the filmmaking craft. So, like what what do you feel like being a filmmaker means to you like what like what is the um you know like what what is, what do you have to do in order to have that title like do you need to be making money at it is that only the, like the kind of people who can call themselves filmmakers in your mind or is it just someone who's act actively making movies like do you define yourself as a filmmaker like what is, what does this all mean to you um i am a filmmaker because I'm making films. Uh, it is not about the money. It is not about the fame. It is not about um, any of that. But I would like to be paid to direct films. I would like to be paid doing what I want to do. And it doesn't need to be a lot of money. I don't need to, like I said, be rich or famous. Um, and maybe one day I'll want that, but I doubt it. And uh, I'd like to pay other people for doing their job, you know, like actors or caterers or, <laughs> yeah, you know, right? editors, yeah. or, you know, there's so many people. And I guess I'm just, I'm kind of tired of just begging people. And I, I know people that have worked with me, I've been able to get them paid jobs somewhere else or people that met on my set ended up working together somewhere else. So, um, and I've worked for free for plenty of other people as well. And, um, so yeah, I guess, for me to call, I am a filmmaker because I'm making films um, and I'm in the process of trying to make more films or getting paid. But yeah, I guess for me, it would just be, yeah, you know, just getting paid like as a living, you know, just wake up and say, I'm a director. Okay, what do I got? I got this producer meeting. I got to meet the writer. I got to, you know, <laughs> right. and, and that's someone yeah. actually, yeah. you know, gives me a little money to do it. So I don't have to, you know, think, oh my God, the money's just right. disappearing. Yeah. yeah. I think that's what we all want. I as, think so. Uh, as filmmakers, you know, but I like what you said that like, just like, you know, you are a filmmaker because you're making films. I think that's, to me, that's, that's what it's about, you know? Um, yeah. and the, 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 making money from it or 
the status or the awards or all that other stuff, that doesn't really matter. It's just the fact that you're in the act of making movies is, is enough for you to be a, you know, a filmmaker. And that's how I, I look at anyone who works on movies as filmmakers. Like, even if you're, you're a, a catering person who works on movies, like I, I consider you as part, part of the filmmaking process, you Absolutely. know, even though you're not the director or the writer, you know, I know a lot of people disagree with me on that statement, but, uh, but that's sort of like my mindset, you know, cause we're all in it together. Like we can't do it without the whole team, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, no, I'm, uh, yeah. I'm also grateful that, you know, people want to see my films. I mean, not all of them, obviously, but I've been sending it to the festival over the last years. And I don't know how many festivals, not the big ones, not Sundance, Tribeca, South by Southwest or whatever, but some smaller festivals actually want to screen what I've done and give awards. And, you know, I know it's easy to get awards now because there's so many festivals out there and it seems like some festivals <laughs> are, just exist. Right. Uh, to You've heard us say that every filmmaker bio now says uh, award-winning award winning filmmaker. filmmaker. Yeah, exactly. Totally. Yeah. Um, so I know you're still working on your documentary, um, but I am curious. You're a- trying to answer one question with it, which is like, when do you give up on your dreams? Are you going to answer that question by the time the film ends? And do you already have a sense for like what the answer is? I don't. I guess I'm making the film to find the answer. I don't know. It's kind of all weird uh, meta or something. I don't know. Um, So the end of the film, I don't know. There's two options. Either, you know, I just accept that after two years of trying to make the film, I'm still in the same position. Um, Or I actually get money and actually make the film and screen it in Cannes maybe in 2020 or something, you know, that would be the happy ending. Um, and the other ending is, well, he hasn't achieved anything in the last two years really, but he kept trying and good for him. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I mean, the age thing, uh, yeah, it's kind of exaggerated kind of midlife crisis thing, but, uh, yeah, I mean, when you go to this Cannes short film corner, um, they're young. They're, you know, beginning early 20s, mid 20s. Um, I spoke to this guy at the short film corner and he was 30 and he said, yeah, I know I'm a little late to the game. And I'm going, wow. Um, so, yeah, it is a young man's game. And um, I'm certainly a little older than I was. Um, I, I don't know if I'd ever actually give up. I'm interviewing a lot of people about what it means, what success means, what for failure is, when you should give up. Um, and yeah, most people say you should never give up as long as you love what you're doing, but I'm not really sure I love what I'm doing cause it's exhausting and it's stressful, <laughs> <laughs> but it's nice. It's a good that's, feeling. That's interesting. Yeah. Wait, yeah. can you, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just curious cause <laughs> Timothy recently has sort of been talking in the same way that like, you know, he's not necessarily loving the process of being like a director and a filmmaker anymore. So he's like kind of taking a break right now. Um, so I, I would just be, I'm just curious, like, you know, what, what is your experience? Are you just getting tired of, you know, the same old, same old thing of like, you know, just, just really grinding to make a project happen and then like it not really going anywhere or like, what makes you say that you're getting tired of it? Um, it's like going to the gym. 
I like having gone to the gym. You know, I know it's good for me, and you know, I never enjoyed the process. Um, um, but I'm glad after I go to the gym. Okay, that was probably healthy for me, and that's what I should be doing. Um, maybe it's not a great example because I do love the creative process of filmmaking. I love the collaboration. I love working with actors. I love uh, you know script writing. Um, but yeah, usually because I think I've been doing so much as far as producing and directing. And, and maybe that's why I'm so eager to find a producer, someone who loves making deals, someone loves writing up contracts, someone loves finding money and all that. So I can just focus on directing and I don't have to worry when I, I know it's a, we all have this problem, but that we're, we're wearing more than one hat. Um, but that's what I mean when I say it's, it's not fun. It's exhausting. And, um, but yes, I'm glad I did it. And I'm, I, I love the editing process, working with the editor, finding new ways to make the story better, richer, you know, more entertaining. Um, so the overall process, yes, I still enjoy it. And that's why I still like it. And it's nice when you can make a movie that moves people you know it's, it's 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 a wonderful feeling to sit in the movie theater and hear people laugh at jokes or hear hear people cry i was at a festival in yeah. waco and uh yeah the woman said she cried and this yeah and uh, yeah it's just nice to touch people i guess move people and yeah. um so i guess that's probably why we're making movies too right yeah so what do you think you'll ever quit or do you think you'll just always <laughs> keep on going keeping on keeping on brother um yeah i don't know what point i would ever quit um i mean i took a break uh because i was caring for a family member for about eight years um but i was still like writing and still developing ideas and um i don't know if i'll ever quit but then sometimes i think ah, oh, wouldn't it be nice just to like not worry about that and just like just get a normal job i know this sounds kind of silly because i'm very blessed because people pay me to act and speak into a microphone and i haven't had a normal nine to five job for almost 20 years now um so i know it's kind of complaining but part of me sometimes thinks oh it wouldn't be great if someone else just told you what to do every day you know and like you went there for eight hours you did your job <laughs> right. you went out. i mean it's silly nobody really wants that and it's like timothy said it's always greener on the other side but yeah so these are the right. thoughts that go through my mind and um but yes no i know deep down that i'm i'm very blessed to be in this opportunity to have the time to actually try to keep making movies right yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I've definitely said that same exact thing. Like, it would be nice to just have a day job where you didn't have to worry about trying to find work or all the hustle or whatever. And I just like made sandwiches for a living or delivered pizzas or, or something like that, you know, but then I always snap myself out of it. And then Timothy recently said something very similar to what you just said, which was like, Oh, wouldn't it be great if I didn't have to worry about all this stuff anymore. And I just, just could, I don't know, remember how he finished that sentence, but, um, Sounds like you're not anywhere near to quitting, that you're just going to keep on pushing through it. Um, but my last question would be, like, if you were to quit, like, what would you even do with your time if you did? <laughs> I guess I would just focus on acting. I mean, I enjoy acting, too. It's great. Oh, yeah, yeah. I love, I love doing both. So you and... wouldn't really quit, then. You would just be acting. Oh, right. Yeah. Directing. Yeah. But I suppose <laughs> I, I suppose I feel, like, in my heart, my creative heart, that uh, I'm a director uh, who can act. And I'm not even sure I'm a great actor. I, I can memorize lines. I can say them. I can do inflection. And, uh, um, 
But yeah, it doesn't really fulfill me as much as, uh, you know, just getting a team together and creating this whole thing. And uh, so, yeah, I guess I'd be an actor, but um, I'm in Germany and I speak with an American accent. So I'm very limited as far as the roles I could get. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. It's just a thought, you know, like like both of you just mentioned it's a thought that comes into your head and then you just shake it off and goes that was a silly thought i gotta make movies (laughs) (laughs) yeah i guess it depends on how long that that feeling lasts like for me it lasted long enough where i'm just like i've got to walk away for a little bit and see if my passion even comes back and if it's gone cool it's gone i'm done let's walk away from this but i have had this feeling at least once a year for like the last 10 years where you're just like what am I doing with my life? Like, is this even, does this even matter? Is it all adding up to anything? Why am I working so hard? No one cares. And then a few weeks later, it goes away and I'm just as passionate as I ever was. So if yeah. you are, if it is just a temporary feeling, yeah, stick with it. Feel it for a little bit. It's totally normal to feel it. Everyone I've talked to has felt it and then get back to it. But I, I do feel like if you've been feeling this for a while, you might need to just take some time away and just, be okay that if the passion doesn't come back um colin levy once told me like you know like after i was really discouraged by the spirit machine i was just like i don't i just feel like i really missed the mark he's just like take some time you know re-aim and then try for the bullseye on the next one and i've been waiting for that feeling of like i'm ready to like try to hit the bullseye again and it hasn't come um but that is i think what it takes to for me to like feel like i'm ready to make another film is that i i have the answers i know how to like hit the bullseye this time i'm not just going to make a movie to make a movie like i'm really going to try really hard to make the best movie that i can make and that that to me is always going to be like trying to like thread the needle hit the bullseye blow people away and it's not easy when you're at our level to do that when you don't have money and you don't have resources. Um, right. But I think if you're, if you, if you put your mind to it, I mean, we've seen a lot of examples of people that have done a lot with a little. So it just, sometimes it just takes time and, and it's, it's not a light bulb moment for everyone. Not everyone's gonna, gonna make that brilliant thing right out the gate and it might take time. I don't think, yeah. you, I don't think it should ever end based on your age. So I want to, I want to worry. Right. I don't want to say it's a young man's game. I think it's just, some in some in some ways it's kind of perseverance. Yeah, obviously, right? Clint Eastwood yeah. still making movies, but he started yeah. when he was a young man. Um, I think I think there's something about ambition, you know, that the people yes. that succeed uh, are very ambitious and driven. And I feel that I do not have that character trait. That I am ambitious enough not to give up, but not to <laughs> like I said. I don't need right. the money. I don't need the fame. I don't need to make the next blockbuster. You know, I just. It's a humble desire, find, you know? Yeah, find satisfaction in that then. That would be my advice to you. Like, try to, again, stay in your lane, look around you, and and take stock of what you do have and not what you don't have. Because you can really focus on the things you don't have, and that'll make you super, super unhappy. So sometimes you just have to look at what you do have and what you have accomplished and you know, pat yourself on the back and be like, I'm doing it. I'm making it happen. I'm... I know it doesn't look like the dream that I wanted, but I'm, if I were to go back in time and show my like 15 year old self what I was doing, like he would think it was pretty cool actually living in Germany and acting and making movies. Hmm. 
Yes, this is true. Sometimes I forget these things. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's always good to be reminded. That's why it's, that's why I think that your podcast is so valuable to the listeners because it just reminds them because especially in this business, I mean, I, I imagine every business mm -hmm. has similar, but this is so ego driven and so superficial, so money driven. Yeah, right. And uh, it's, it's, it's hard to forget that, uh, yeah that since we're still doing it, that's sometimes enough. I think so. I think yeah. it is. So uh, I think we need to wrap it up now. Um, but any any last final words or final thoughts, anybody? Well, you guys used to do the five questions. Do you still do that? I haven't heard it in the last um, few. I think we dropped the, dropped we the five it. questions. Yeah, yeah, okay. Just because people They're were saying repetitive. they were sort of boring. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Because you just asked me like what, what I would tell my young self. So it reminded me of that question that you guys used to ask. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, let's do this one final question. If you could go back in time and, and give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be? Uh, it sounds corny, but I guess don't give up. <laughs> um, which and is weird that I'm that saying advice. that. I guess I am. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, so I would have wished I had better advice <laughs> to tell my own <laughs> self. Uh, right. Maybe the better advice would be get a real job. Um, I don't know, but I've always been, I've been very fortunate to have my mother supporting me since I was a kid, since I wanted to be a stuntman, uh, before I wanted to be an actor and she never discouraged me from that. So I've always been lucky to have people around me that have supported me and weren't worried about money or fame or success in the typical terms. So, um, yeah, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for a lot. And I guess you guys are too. Yeah. Definitely. Well, where can people find out more about you and the stuff that you're working on? Um, my website is www.anikafilms.com. Anika is spelled A-N-I-K-A. And um, on Facebook, it's Anika Films. On Instagram, it's Anika Films. Twitter is Anika Films. Um, yeah, I don't use social media very often, or I try not to. Um, but yeah, those places would be good places to start. And there you can see my showreel. And if there are any producers out there with a, with a boatload of money, give me a call. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Give me a call too. Or even, or even a little bit of money, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just, to, you know, 50, 50 bucks would be cool. Let's just start small <laughs> and see where we go. You know? Right. A couple just pay beers. for lunch for the, for, for like the three person crew. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's always helpful. Um, all right. Well, thanks everybody for, uh, for listening. Uh, if you want to get in contact with us, you can send an email to podcast at making movies is hard.com where you can all You can also visit our website at making movies is hard.com where you can find links to things we talked about this on this episode, including all of John Luke's old short films, if we can find them and the living in limbo trailer. I don't know if limbo's online yet, but if it is limbo, um, and everything else, uh, you can also find us on Twitter and Facebook with the handle at MMIH Podcast. We also have an in, an indie filmmakers group on Facebook, which uh, if you aren't on there yet, you should get on there. It seems to be growing uh, all the time, even more, which is great. And finally, if you like the show, you can tell your friends about it or leave a rating for the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. Um, and John Luke, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. It was great talking to you. Yeah, thanks. Okay, Liz. 
I know that you weren't here for this interview. You probably don't even know who John Luke is. But if he was on the show today, what is a question that you'd ask him? What's life like in Berlin? I mean, honestly, this is the I, I don't have a ton of information. So I'd be just curious <laughs> if what the industry is like and as an American, are they welcoming to an American in terms of financing and developing his future projects? And what has it been like for the past five years for him to work within that entertainment industry? So I'd be very curious about that. Yeah, and I'd probably also ask, because he's an actor as well. So I would ask him about the acting scene in Berlin and like how that's going in conjunction with his work on his, you know, on his films. Like, you know, has he made another feature? Like what's going on? Like what has, has the success of his first one? What has that been? I would love to know all those questions. But, but Liz, well, I think it's time for the... Uh, Eric didn't send me a question. Oh, he didn't. <laughs> oh, no. God. <laughs> I thought uh, I didn't read it in the outlet till right now that I was supposed to ask you a question. In fact, oh. I was going to say that you've been asking me questions too many times the past few segment recordings and that I was yeah. due. And I'm going to make a question up to, for you. I'm going to make. Oh, I have a question. OK, okay I have a great question. All right. This question comes from me, not well, from first, Eric Tom. Explain, explain oh, what the game it. is. All right. <laughs> the game, the game, not just a movie with Michael Douglas. It is a segment that we incorporate in our podcast once a week. And it is an indie film quandary quagmire problem, a hypothetical situation that you may find yourself in. And we like to pop quiz hot shot each other and ask how each other would handle these hypothetical scenarios. I think that's English. I hope so. All right, Ulrich, here's your question for the game, completely improvised by me in this one second. Okay. Amazing. You have been in development on a genre feature, a sci-fi feature for the past three years. And it is the first director for hire job that you were brought on, that you pitched on, you nailed. It's like a professional achievement for you to even be on board a project. There has There's some bona fides, right? There's Ooh. some credited producers and actors attached to it. They are financing the film entirely based on cast. And they reached out to an actor who has expressed some anti-vax just you know like just talking about anti-vax things you don't know whether they're anti-vax or not but there's some speculation on whether this actor is anti-vaccination and the whole vaccination culture <laughs> you are at a you're at an inflection point where the producers have expressed that they don't want that actor on board but ultimately, it's your decision. This actor will get your film completely financed, but there is a, some ethical murkiness about whether they are a good person or not and are using their platform for good or not. What do you do, director? What do you do? Well, I think I talk to the, the actor and and see, like, get a sense of this and, like, what what was the real deal with this comment? What was their meaning behind it and like just sort of have a conversation about it and sort of get from the horse's mouth like the real real true information like is this guy an anti-vaxxer you know or or are they like just like open to other you know counterculture concepts and they're not gonna say one way of living is right one way of living is wrong or whatever or whatever it is who knows like but just kind of figure it out and then 
I think in the end, you know, if the producers are leaving it up to me and this actor, like, A, I like them as a person because I'll have this conversation. So that'll like help me decide if I like them as a person. B, if, you know, like they're right for the role, which I'm assuming they are. And then C, the most important one, like, are they, are they a bad person? Like, do they have like hateful agendas? Like, are they trying to push something that you don't like out into the world? And if that is true, then I don't think you can work with them. But if like, but if that's not true and they're like, oh no, that was just a slip up. Like, I, w- I would never do that. I never speak about politics, like, you know, during an interview about this movie. Like, that's my own business. Like, I'm not trying to like push that forward as part of my, agenda or like who I am as an actor like that's just something that came out randomly and in an honest mistake or honest whatever like I I didn't mean anything by it but they they blew it out of proportion they did if it's all that stuff then yes I'm in I'm working with them you know and I'll and I will defend them and I'll be on their side and I'll tell our producers like you guys are being a little too harsh on this person they're not who you think they are they're going to be great and they're not going to do the terrible things you think they might do. And I vouch for them. So that's how I would handle it. Well, what about you, Liz? I probably <laughs> wouldn't even need a conversation with them. I probably would just be like, yeah, you're in. The- <laughs> <laughs> I've come to the point where if they're vax or an- pro-vax or anti-vax, I don't care. I just don't care. I think that they're allowed their opinion and maybe it's right. Maybe it's wrong. And some may think that that individual has responsibility to only dispense objective truth and fact-checked information because they're a celebrity on social media. But I think we give celebrities way too much power and influence over our culture. And ultimately, we should probably not put that kind of expectation on them. And they're allowed to make Make mistakes and they're allowed to have opinions that are different from the general consensus of public health. And that being said, like, I really like your answer. Like, you would want to move past just a tweet, right? A tweet yeah. can be very misleading. And so maybe this person is just a lovely individual who, yes, just wants to question everything, which I think is healthy. But my perspective is if they could finance the film and I think they're right for the role, just like you were saying, I'm okay. I'm okay with them being anti-vax. Yeah. I think if if they're spouting Nazi propaganda, no, thank you. Like, not interested <laughs> right. in that. If they are, you know, it's like as a pregnant person, I'm not a vegetarian, but I'm normally a vegetarian. And if they're saying things like you got to eat meat all the time, it's like I still still would hire them because, you know what, that's just their opinion that they want to eat meat all the time. Right. Even if I think they're spousing something that's not great for the environment. Who cares? Let them eat meat. Let them not get vaccinated. That's their business. I want my movie financed. That's how I let me ask you a question. What if they were like, I want to use your movie as like a launching board to talk about anti-vax stuff and, and you know, meatism, oh. you know, and like how meat <laughs> is the way to live. Like what if that, if that was part of what they were saying, that they want to use this movie as a vehicle for that? Like, oh, would, God, then, then what? Which which no human would do, by the way. I don't think. No, you're right. Like if that were the conversation that were had, that would make it incredibly more complicated, right? That would make me <laughs> right. think like, well, maybe it's not worth it. I would probably lean more against 
against working with that actor. But if it's just like, because I'm not used to an actor really promoting my movie whatsoever. Like I'm not used to an actor marketing my movie other than the amazing Christine Weatherup who did an amazing job with Bread and Butter. But usually the actors that I work with are like, one tweet, thank you very much, move along. (laughs) Yeah. So like uh, this would be an unprecedented scenario for me and I probably would, yeah, I'd probably not want to work with someone who wanted to utilize our film for what I thought were not the greatest of purposes. Yeah, but I, I don't think like anybody... <laughs> <laughs> no one would ever do that, but still, I That's get like, that. It would be like the craziest person in the world who would be like, yes, I am going to talk about it. Nothing but anti-vax and all the interviews for your and movie. And meat-eating. Like, no meat-eating would... <laughs> anti-vaccination. <laughs> I just feel like that's so outside the the box and i feel like people are so sensitive with tweets and uh, yeah, like com like comments taken out of context from an interview it's just like come on let like let people be people come yeah, on man people no want to get angry about everything and they don't have mm. any sort of sense of like forgiveness or latitude that's dangerous i don't want to be a part of that i don't yeah, want to be a part totally. of cancel culture i want to be part of like rehab culture <laughs> is what i want to yes. be a part of Okay. Yes, I agree. But all of you can always send us a question, comment, or suggestion to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com. If you like the show, you can leave us a review on iTunes. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at MMIH Podcast, YouTube at Making Movies is Hard Podcast. Thanks to our editor, Jeff Rymood, for doing the editing. Thanks to our producer, Eric Toms, for being awesome, except for the time where he didn't send us the game question. <laughs> but actually, he's still awesome. Never mind. Thanks to all of you for listening and talk to y'all next week. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. Yeah, it's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.